sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. This is a substantially different form of trust that we form with buyers who form in a business. I'd like to say as the job, but my buyers... They trust you enough to buy from you, but they're not going to invite you to come babysit their kids. Yeah, well, it's a good point you raise. And I find it useful to make a certain distinction between what I call the private and what I call the personal. And the private has to do with, maybe has to do with would you babysit their kids. It certainly has to do with, do you know your customers, kids, birthdays? And I think business trust has got nothing to do with that. That's You can do it. It's up to you. It's up to who you are and who the customer is. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Charlie Green. Charlie's one of the top experts in the world on the subject of trust. He's the co-author of the classic book, The Trusted Advisor, and also author of Trust-Based Selling and The Trusted Advisor Fieldbook. And Charlie's joining me today on Sales Enablement, episode 775, to talk about trust. Now, Trust may be the most overused and least understood word used in sales. So Charlie and I are going to try to clear up some of the mystery surrounding trust in today's sales world. We're going to dig into the difference between trust and trustworthiness and why one is perhaps more important than the other. We'll also talk about how trust building is different in the virtual age and why it's probably harder than building trust in person. And we'll also get into how much trust you really need in order to close a sales opportunity. Now stick around for all of this. Before we get to Charlie, I want to let you know the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to this show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Charlie Green, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Andy. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So we are recording this in the midst of uncertainty <laughs> about uh, about everything in general. So how are you faring? Where are you? Uh, I am in Boca Raton, Florida, which is all in all not a bad place to be. Good weather. We have a nice living situation. And I've been focusing on finishing up a 20th anniversary edition of the Trusted Advisor. So I got nothing else to do anyway. Doing fine. Yeah. All right. Well, good. So you're updating a book. That's fantastic. When's that going to come out? Oddly enough, it's due to the publisher about April 20, and they won't publish it until February of next year. I'm not sure why it takes that long, but that's what they tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to get on the the calendar for the booksellers and all that, too. So, yeah. Um, 
Is there anybody there to receive <laughs> the manuscript when you submit it? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm assuming they will be, but we'll see. All right. All right. So this is an appropriate topic. You're bringing up that you're updating the book, The Trusted Advisor. And we're going to talk about trust today because, and not just because we're in the midst of this huge, you know, working remotely uh, sort of exodus that's happened here in the last month. But right. just in general, because it's such an important topic with building a connection with somebody and doing business with them. So, well, so we'll talk about trust building in the in the virtual age. But I I, I want to ask you a question first. So, yeah, there's the famous expression: people buy from people they know, like, and trust. And right. My question is: is that still true in your mind? Uh, yeah, I don't think anything has changed from that. Uh, I mean, there are a couple tunings to that. As the world's gotten more digital, et cetera, there are certain things that we can buy without all that stuff that we didn't used to be able to. You know, you used to worry about the interactions with the teller when you went in to cash a check. That's, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm dating myself, obviously. ATMs blew that away. And now ATMs are getting blown away. You know, who needs it when you can yeah, you online know, checking, all, right? All kinds of, right. And nobody misses that. You know, nobody says, oh, yeah, I used to love to go in and talk to the teller or I used to love to go to the ATM. So things that can be digitized and automated, great. That's to everybody's plus. But what it leaves are all the other kinds of transactions, which still require some kind of human connection. B2B sales is still mostly that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, professional services sales, which is what I focus on, are that way. So, the fact that we've removed the mechanizable things actually makes the remaining stuff more important. So, we may spend less time with clients and customers in, in the sales process, but the quality and the importance of that time, I don't think it's changed a bit. If anything, it's gotten higher. So, I think we still buy from people we, what's the phrase, like, know, and trust? or uh, Yeah, I mean, it's no like, and trust. I, I think um, no like and trust, right? Though there's some argument which which order it goes in. So yeah. <laughs> I think I think like no trust is, is probably better. But um, so I agree with you. I think that that whatever we call consider trust to be in in the virtual world is is actually becoming more important. So I guess the question, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot and reading a lot about recently is is do we really understand what this this trust is, right? Because is it really trust as we sort of think we know it is, or is it really the quality of being trustworthy that is really the, the, the key thing here? Thank you for raising that question. I, yeah, what I kind of figured out after, yeah, good setup. <laughs> trust is one of those things, I analogize it to the old Potter Stewart Supreme Court Justice definition of obscenity, mm-hmm. where Stewart right. famously said, I don't know how to define it, but I know I want to see it. Right. And he was absolutely right. What he meant was it is contextual. And I would argue when it comes to trust, we all know what it means and what it is, but we struggle with the language for it. And the language has been confusing. So, for example, uh, if you just think about it for a second, trust is the end result of an interaction between two parties or it's the, it's the, the relationship between two parties. And those parties are asymmetric. There's a trustor and a trustee. Mm-hmm. So the, the defining element of the trustor, it's the first one to move. It's the one who takes a risk to initiate a trust relationship. The trustee is the person that we apply the adjective trustworthy to or not trustworthy. So trustor takes a risk. Trustee shows up and they either are or they are not trustworthy. If they are, boom, click. 
the relationship kicks to a higher level of trust. So when you say, I mean, the, the important thing is don't confuse trust with either trusting or being trustworthy. Trust is the end result of an interaction between somebody who's trusting and another one who is trustworthy. Okay. That, that cuts through a lot of stuff. I mean, most of what we sure. read in the press, Edelman Trust Barometer, all that stuff is about trust, but it doesn't tell you where the issue is. You know, if we have low trust, like in banking, is that because banks have become less trustworthy? Well, if you're thinking about Wells Fargo, yes, it is. But if you're thinking about have people become less trusting of banks, well, that's an entirely different question. But I think it applies to the, the issue for sellers who are listening to the show as saying, absolutely, it's just, just part of part of the vernacular, right? We're, we're building trust with this person. But right. maybe the perspective needs to be instead that I'm building my own trustworthiness. Yep. And it's never really talked about in that that perspective, right? Is is we just assume that we're going to, if you read a lot of the sales training sales books, it's like, yeah, you just you know, get in there, you talk to the customer, you build trust. It's like, mm, yeah, it doesn't quite work that way. Well, you're right. It's it's imprecise. You you do need to be trustworthy, and that is what comes to most people's minds first, and that's critically important. But you also can't forget, you can be the most trustworthy person in the world. In fact, one of the stories I'm building into the new book is uh, uh, a guy who, a guy named Mark Hahn used to be at Accenture. He's now big head of business development at EY. And he talks about this great client that they had. They'd done several great jobs, and they really trusted him. And then they bid for a new job, and they didn't get it. And Mark was very upset. He went to the client, and he said, I thought you guys trusted us. You know, what gives? And the client said, well, we do trust you. We trust you to be very smart and always have the answer. And, you know, you come prepared. And if there's ever a discussion, a debate between your guys and our guys, you guys always win. And you know what? He says, you keep winning, and we're always the one taking the risk. So I'm not sure I trust you after all. The key point there is you can't just be trustworthy. Occasionally, you have to, you know, be the one that takes a risk. Otherwise, it feels unfair, and we don't trust them. So salesmen have to figure out how to take a risk in their own way. Right. But for the purpose of showing that they, if I understand your story correctly, is that trust has to be bilateral. Yes. Good way to put it. And it has to be bilateral. So people not only have to feel that they trust you or feel that you're trustworthy, is they also have to feel that you trust them. The buyer has to feel you trust them. Exactly correct. It's got to be both. Yeah, see, and that's something that doesn't get talked about at all. That's right. That's right. And yet it's sort of obvious when you put it that way, right? Well, sure. And it's it's it sort of lines up with this whole idea of um, – Cialdini talked about this in his, his latest book, Persuade, that yep. you know people are more likely to like someone who they feel likes them. Well, right. I mean, if you remember Cialdini's original book, he listed six or seven factors that determine influence. The first one he talks about, and I, he talks about it more and more lately, is reciprocity. It's a real fundamental dynamic. How long am I going to like you if you don't like me? How long am I going to trust you if you don't trust me? Um, you know, that reciprocity dynamic is really profound when it comes to trust, as it is in, in a lot of areas. So, from a seller's perspective, then, is because this is, I think, is new probably for 99% of the people that are out there that are listening to this about, you know, you as a seller have to trust, demonstrate trust in the buyer. Right. How's that manifested? And how do you build that? 
That's the right question. Um, let's break it into sort of the, uh, the quantitative, rational, um, uh, behavioral components of trust sure, sure. and the emotional, interpersonal aspects. There, there are answers in both dimensions. If you want to take a risk in the, in the cognitive behavioral realm, what I suggest is what I call bring a risky gift. Right. In other words, when you're, when you're getting to know somebody, at some point early on, take a risk by, by speculating, suggesting, offering up a hypothesis that you know, really is potentially value-adding but might be wrong. You know, that part is critical. If all you're doing is throw them your latest canned white paper or your, your cool nifty product, there's no risk to you, then it doesn't count. But if you're willing to say, in effect, you know what, I haven't looked at all this and we haven't explored you guys' business yet, but you know what, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I think this may be your big issue. Now, if you do that right, there's only two answers and they're both good. The first one is you guessed right. And they say, mm-hmm. yes, if you have anything that deals with that, fabulous, let's, let's talk. Yeah, great. The other one, paradoxically, is even better. Uh, That's when they say, yeah, everybody thinks that's the problem, but no, it's this one. In which case you say, oh, my God, the minute you said that, I realized that, of course, you're right. Wow. Tell me about that issue. And more often than not, they'll be happy to tell you about that issue um, because you're paying attention, you're listening but also because you were willing to put yourself out there and appeal, appear vulnerable with an, an offer of help that could have been wrong. And we respect that. That triggers the reciprocity thing. So that's on the rational side. On the emotional side, even though it's but harder. Let's, let's hang on for that for just a second before we go on. Because I think yeah. maybe one way to, to summarize what you're talking about in terms of this idea of bringing a risky gift, which is right. a term you use, is, um, is that you need to have a point of view. As a Absolutely, and this this is Absolutely. the part that you know you can't be beholden to a script. You can't you know be locked into hey this customer looks just like every other customer we've had. Is That's right. You, you need to have a, a point of view, and you have to feel take the risk as you said to express yeah. it. Exactly right. And if you can't figure out how to take that risk, you know, you just, I mean, the, the sales knows well, this uh, the sales field knows well the saying of um, uh, aggressively waiting for the phone to ring. Mm-hmm. You might as well be aggressively waiting for the phone to ring unless you're willing to have a point of view and put it out there and, you know, potentially be wrong. If it's, if it's non-disconfirmable, I'll go back to my philosophy major undergrad. <laughs> Did you just make up that word? No, no, no. It's really, it's called, it's not exactly the right word. Um, uh, uh, unver- it's called, um, ah, I'm forgetting the exact word, but that's, that's unverifiable. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it's unverifiable, it's not worth anything. It doesn't say right. anything. Right. Okay. So now let's go to the second part. So this was the, right. the you know, have a point of view. So the second part is more feelings based, if you will. Yeah. And to sum that up, uh, very simply, the, the best way to take a risk emotionally is to comment on the other person's feelings or on your own. Um, you don't want to overdo your own because you run the risk of looking self-centered and, and narcissistic. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, it's pretty no fail to, if you can do this intelligently and sensitively uh, by, by truly caring about the others, comment on what they're feeling. Gee, you know, you looked a little upset when I mentioned that thing. I mean, let's put it in, in today's environment. We're at the early parts of the pandemic. And if you're talking on the phone with somebody and you say, how you doing? And they say, well, I just heard my brother-in-law, you know, got diagnosed. You don't say, uh, okay, let's move along to the, uh, uh, the subject of the meeting. And you don't say, gee, that's tough. What you do is you say, oh, my God, 
that's got to be hard for you. Yes. And you shut up and you leave some silence, you know, you act like a human being, like if it was your, you know, your brother-in-law, what would you say? And over and over, the the audiences I deal with in particular, which are professional services. So we're talking lawyers, accountants, management consultants, actuaries, architects. They're not good at this. And Mm -hmm. they're scared to death of talking about anything emotional, partly because that's who they are, partly because they don't want to look unprofessional. And they don't do that. So the admonition is that's exactly what you have to do. In fact, times like this, you need to do it even more. Uh, So take emotional risk. Be more vulnerable because everybody's feeling vulnerable right now, right? And um, oddly enough, you look at, um, again, for people listening to this later, this is the context of early in the pandemic. We're seeing uh, TV show hosts, cable news guys, you know, we're in their bedrooms. We're looking at the books they read. We're, We're watching you know, kids and dogs go by the camera. Yeah, look so at that. <laughs> there you go, right? Same same here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, suddenly everybody's doing that. Uh, and we, we want that because now's a time of big vulnerability. So that's how you take a risk. Well, it raises the question is, is what do we go back to then, right? I mean, if, if this creates yeah. sort of an interesting, an interesting, you know, moment in time for people to become more vulnerable and right. is do we come more guarded afterwards? I mean, is this what you see what happens? People will become more guarded or I mean, personally, I, you know, I, I miss maybe having the audience in the background, but I'm watching, uh, you know, Stephen Colbert at night right. from his home. Yeah. Kind yeah, of boring, it, right? <laughs> well, on one hand, a little boring, but on the hand, I, I, I watch it much more closely because yeah, yeah, you know, it's more personal. Same with you yeah. know, Jimmy Kimmel. Same thing. It's just like, true. Oh yeah, this yeah the hair's messed up a little bit, and you know they're it's just right. I think we're going to see some of it. It's going to carry over. It's the new normal. Uh, I don't think you go through an experience like this and have levels of vulnerability and then pretend it didn't happen. So I think you're going to see people staying on Zoom. You know, not nearly as much. We'll all be glad to get off it, but I think some of it's going to stay. We're getting more comfortable with these forms of interactions. We're exercising mm-hmm. our muscles for expressing social solidarity when you can't touch people or be within six feet of them. We're getting mm-hmm. better at verbalizing, you know, body language, all that stuff. Some of that I think will stay. Um, although I reading something about the 1917 flu epidemic, apparently people just wrote it out of history. It was a bad experience nobody wanted to remember. And in fact, historians say it's very lightly treated in the history book. So, oh, it is. Maybe, absolutely. Yeah, so maybe some of this and some of that. Yeah, I mean, sort of right in the midst of, you know, toward the end of World War One. I, I mean, there's lots of things going on, but yeah, it was, right. it was, yeah, you don't study it in part of your history class and so on. Right, yeah. I suspect this will, will be different. Um, I suspect so, too. But I mean, it's really, I just want to go back to a point before, and I think for people who are in remote selling situations, perhaps they, they hadn't been in before, right? is, is you know, this idea of, being human, which is something I write and talk about a lot, as yes, do you, you do. Yeah. is this this becomes more important. Is you have to feel that you have the license to have these comments, to talk about your feelings, to comment on someone else's feelings. Right. To connect in a way that you, that you won't otherwise allow yourself to connect. Uh, that's true. And, you know, we're talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. You know, your lives have changed. That's what's going on. And to not talk about it, you know, increases the falsity of whatever sales dialogue you're having. You got to talk about it. 
Well, and you got to talk about it authentically. I mean, a lot of the a lot of what's on LinkedIn these days is this macho, keep on calling, keep uh, on, you know, and you and I both know people that are writing about this. Yes, and, we do. Know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, is that really the point? I mean, the point is, it's yeah, not. Business, business continues, but right. that's sort of unmindful of the disruption that your customers are feeling and the vulnerability they're feeling at this point in time. And everybody's got this sense of anxiety about this this virus. Right. Is maybe that your approach is, yeah, I just could be a little more human. Is, is Absolutely. It's tone deaf not to be at this point. I mean, right. And I, I understand that things are going to be tough for you, and, and maybe now's not the right time. I mean, this is to say that if you're reading right. some stuff online, it's like, oh, what a bunch of wusses, right? If you start going that path, and it's like, <laughs> no, no, just no. Acknowledge reality and with the buyer right. and say, look, there's a way that I can stay connected and engaged with you as you go through this process on your end. Right. Where compared to other people, when you get to the end of this, you're going to think, you know, Andy really did a great job of supporting us. And he was there yes. for us on multiple levels. Well, to that, that point, you know, this is a time of crisis. Who gets remembered after times of crisis? Who behaves heroically? Who do we recall as having been an exemplar? And who do we not recall at all, or worse yet, recall as a jerk? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see that among the governors right now. There's a perception coming out of who's been, you know, on point and who's tone deaf. Yeah. And um, you, you, this is a chance to write future history and how you behave right now is how people will remember you when all when all this is done. And uh, and I think an opportunity for people to to really understand this this is not a way to learn how to act now, right? Just now, but it's a way to learn how to act that will stick with you the rest of your life. It is, and it should be absolutely. And um, it's an opportunity to sort of you know, flex those muscles uh, at a very forgiving time. People are very accepting and even desirous of a uh, little authenticity and reality and and basic one-on-one level empathy, um, you know, people should be availing themselves of it. Well, I think as people now are going through, again, this this remote work from home, remote selling uh, sort of transition, is I thought it'd be really useful to go back through, uh, I love Stephen M. R. Covey's description of the four pillars of trust in his book, The Speed of Trust, which I, you and I have spoken about before. Yeah. And he talks about motivations, integrity, credibility, and reliability. Right. And I just want to sort of run through those with you because I, this is this is so important. Is is when he talks about motivations being a pillar of trust building, it means are you completely transparent in your motivations, right? In your communications with with your buyer, right? And this is a problem in, in the best of times. Yep. Um, Correct. <laughs> and now that we're not sort of, I don't say the worst of times, but in a worse time, it becomes even more critical. And right. Yeah, I know we all have numbers to make and goals to hit. Yeah. But if you try to sort of lead with, hey, we're being really empathetic with this customer, the situation they're in, and then you get to the last week of month and you put pressure on to close a deal, right? Your motivations are revealed. Absolutely. For revealed for what they are, which is not client focused, customer centric, or any of that stuff. It was always about you. Which means the change has to be fundamental. Uh, you know, and I forget whether you and I have talked about this before, but one of the things I've been trying to articulate recently is uh, a, an, un, an unconscious myth out there that the best road to short-term performance is through short-term behavior. The fact is the best road to short-term performance, and certainly long-term performance, is long-term behavior. 
Uh, I mean, it's kind of self-evident to all of us. If you, if you consistently over time behave in a customer-focused, you know, you, not me, a kind of a generous manner, it will pay off in the long run. What we forget is the long run is made up of a series of weeks and quarters and so forth. It pays off. And mm-hmm. if you reveal the bad intentions, you know, and it immediately shows, oh, you're just looking for the quarterly numbers. Well, guess what? You just ruined trust. So Cubby's absolutely right. Yeah. Well, the thing that, that I think companies and sellers miss is that sometimes you get to the end of quarter and you make this you know, astounding offer to somebody. Yeah. They see through it. Of they course still, they do. But they still take it. Well, yeah, but it, but at what Sometimes price? Sometimes they don't. Right. Yeah. But the price is, is that you're going to get high churn in those accounts. They're going exactly. to leave as soon as they have the opportunity. Exactly. Because they're opportunistic. And so right. I think. And you just fed their opportunism. That's right. People really confuse us. They think, well, of course they must trust us because, yeah, nah. they bought. And it's like, no, they don't, no. Not the same thing. They bought because they had no other alternative better. And the minute somebody knocks two cents off your offer, you know, they're going to be gone as fast as they bought your quarterly spiff. Yeah, you know, and I have that conversation with sales leaders and someone is like, "Have you ever calculated the ROI of, of doing this?" <laughs> you know, you know this I, to last, that point, last, last day of the month offer, which uh, yeah, you might you would have gotten the order the next week anyway. Right, right, and it's I mean, you know, a lot of people criticize short term focus, but not enough. I mean, I see all kinds of sellers marketers out there who are just. Uh, blithely churning through uh, potential leads as if they were infinite. They pay no attention yes. to, to the turnoff that it creates. Um, it's, you know, the, the, what's left behind when Sherman's marched through Georgia, that kind of thing. You leave devastation behind you. And they don't care because what's the marginal cost of another, you know, reach out? Well, which is interesting, though, too, when you think about it, because... You know, one of the I've always thought it's a myth in sales is that you know you serve in most prof- most aspects of sales is people think, oh, you know, going to get my next job, I can talk about you know I sold these accounts, I can have entries and you know entrees into these accounts and so on. Is yeah, not if you behave like that. That's true. People right. remember. People have long long memories. People have very long memories, right? So the next one is is integrity, mm-hmm. which is sort of aligned with the other is that your your actions have to match your words. Yeah. Yeah, this is one. I mean, Covey's model is very similar to mine, which is the trust equation credible plus mm-hmm. reliable plus intimate divided by self orientation. The right. um, intentions is kind of like self orientation. Yep. Credibility and competence we're pretty aligned with. I, I have stayed away from the word integrity myself just because I've never found a good definition of it. I think of it as kind of a meta level that says, does everything line up? I mean, that's actually the word of that integrity comes from, integral, whole, sure. one part of a whole cloth. So I, I don't have anything to add on that word. It makes well, but sense. I think, well, I think the thing that, that, again, people aren't mindful, it gets back to a little bit to the motivations thing, is if you say one thing and do another. Correct. Then Inconsistent, you lack, hypocritical, you lack you integrity. Lack, you lack integrity. Now, most people hear the word integrity, they think it means honesty, right? Mm-hmm. I'm up, and you can be above board and still lack integrity. Yes, true. <laughs> That's true. This is, this is a disconnect for many sellers to hear this. It's like, well, what are you talking about? That's right. Yeah, I, I agree you, with you. It's more than just honesty. It's The whole thing has to fit together. Yeah, and if it's if and people sense that very quickly. It's like, oh, you just told me X, but now you're doing this. It's like, well, wait a second. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're sort of lacking. Something doesn't quite add up here, and then the barriers go up. Right. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I love the 
uh, expression from uh, Emerson. The quote is, you know, I cannot hear. Uh, make sure I, said, I cannot hear what you say because your actions, yeah, speak. I forget what it is, right? Your actions. Yeah, your actions speak more loudly than the words. Yeah, but I can't believe I blew that. I know that quote. I'll have to go back. <laughs> the you audience has heard it, it before. We um, all know it. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I'm going to blame it on the on the pandemic. So, um, <laughs> I mean, credibility obviously is important. Yep. And although I would say right now, credibility is the least important in this time, unless you're Dr. Fauci. You know, if you're not, lay off the credibility stuff. Well, right now, we don't want to hear your credentials. We don't want to hear your track record and how smart you are. That's not what this time is largely about. In normal times, yes. Plays a big role. Well, but also plays into trust a little bit as well. It does. Oh, it does. I mean, mean, so, and then reliability, actually, I think, is very important these days. Absolutely. Yeah. Track record, consistency. You know, I think... um, One of the easiest ways I always tell people to create trust is make a lot of promises and then keep them. That that falls on reliability is also the only component um, of another truism of trust. Trust takes time. We hear that all the time. Mostly it does not take time. The one exception is reliability because that does require, by definition, the passage of time over which multiple events happen. Sure. So that works. Right, but the perception of trustworthiness is part of the first impression people have of you. I mean, this, right. this comes across pretty quickly. I mean, it really does. Yeah, in all the yeah. other dimensions, people assess your credibility very quickly, your intimacy very quickly, your self orientation not quite so fast, but we're always looking for it. Well, I mean, it all adds up to character to some degree. Okay. Yes, I think so. I mean, I, I think people. I think people perceive what your character is. I mean. Yes. I've, I've, <laughs> someone sort of disputed me on it once. I said, well, how often have you bought something from somebody whose fundamental character you didn't trust? Right. Not no. often. Not I, very it, often. It reminds me, now we're throwing quotes around. I think it was George Burns said, uh, the most important thing in life is sincerity. If you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> and uh, I think of that with, uh, with trust, too. You, you really can't fake trustworthiness for very long. It's going to fall no. apart. Somebody's going to sense it. You know, you, you, you have to be. And that's character. Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's an act that you have to maintain. It's hard to maintain that, that right. act. So, right. so here's, here's a question that, that you know, in this day and age where we want to measure everything is you know, when you're in process, right. you know, say in a sales situation, is how do, you, how do you assess or measure the level of trust that you've built? Right. Um, I would argue three points. Number one, it doesn't matter that much. Uh, number two, there are ways to measure the rational sides of trustworthiness. Number three, there are not particularly good ways to measure the non-rational parts. And let me start with why it doesn't matter. Why do you, first of all, you know it in your bones. And, and I think we need to get in touch a little bit more with our instincts, with our commonsensical feelings. The passion to measure trust comes from nothing to do with trust. It comes from a passion for measuring everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we all live in a world where people mindlessly quote, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. That's not true on the face of it. There are a hundred ways to manage without measurements. And um, uh, anyway, that's, I, I find that it's vastly overrated with a couple exceptions. I know when work we do um, in helping big companies deal with trust, I say you should measure revenue. If you can't see an impact on the top line within six months, then it's not working. Uh, but beyond that, I think we get lost in, in metrics. 
some of it is measurable. You can easily quantify and measure and track credibility, you know, uh, um, references, uh, uh, credentials, mm-hmm. um, uh, past work. That's fine. Uh, reliability, even easier. It's straight up behavioral stuff. You know, how many times did you meet your promise? What was your track record? Mm-hmm. That's not hard to do. And there's nothing wrong with doing it. But how do you measure intimacy? And how do you measure self-orientation? Um, some of it's even self-contradictory because what we want to do with measurements is then use them to incent people. Well, how do you incent people to become unselfish? It falls apart, you know, when you even think about it. So, I mean, we do want to be able to help people learn to be better intimate, lower self-orientation, but it doesn't come about from their usual technique of, of management and, and so forth. It comes about by uh, clearly articulating principles and providing role modeling of how to execute on those principles, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, the way we think of much softer stuff. But, you know, what are you trying to do? Um, and, and I think the, the term values is appropriate here. The term principles is appropriate here. And the point is not to memorize your corporate, uh, you know, value statement. The point is to live it. And the role of managers is to point out, here's what that principle means in this case, and to be alert to it. That's how you teach people the softer skills. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, back to the first point about, you know, why should people measure it? And I, I think that, I think that the, for the, the way I've always done it is, is ask somebody, right? If you're asking a seller. Yeah. So, do we have the trust of the customer or not? Yeah, it's a simple question. And if they don't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> then that's, that's an answer. That's that's the answer right there. Is you have to know as a seller, you have to be very conscious of the fact: is have we done? Have I done? Yeah. What I need to do to demonstrate the trustworthiness? Yeah. And yeah, you know, part of what you talked about, which, which I think is very important, is also to demonstrate some level of trust in in the buyer themselves. Right. But you should know that. You know, if you're engaged, if you're a human being and you're just not you know, following right. a process that's been laid out by your, your manager saying, hey, have you migrated to the next stage or not? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, are you aware of whether you've got the trust of the buyer? Yeah. I, I think, you know, to go way 40,000 foot level, uh, the entire approach of Western education, including business education, is towards the, um, the analytical, the cognitive um, uh, the calculable, and we have given, you know, paid not very much attention to, let's call it broadly, the softer skills, intuition, common sense, those sorts of things. I, I was struck years ago in MBA programs, you don't find a single course in selling as in how do you stand in front of a person and become effective as a salesperson. You find Tons of courses on sales management, on sales leadership. These are all things that can be reduced to cognitive rules. But you don't find anything that talks about what it takes to be a real effective salesperson. They just don't teach it because it doesn't fit in the curriculum. Well, too bad for the curriculum. You know, yeah. it's, you need to know it in your bones. And if you can't pick that up, you need some basic re-education. Go back to kindergarten, you know, and relearn. <laughs> well, right. Well, back to the first point about there are now some schools that are teaching sales. There are a few. You're right. And, You're right. I mean, and Howard Dover University of Texas. And, There's and a guy at State in, University. Yeah, Kansas a guy State. in Boston, too. Or, yeah. uh, or New York, rather. But in general. But I'm, I do like your, your comment because someone asked me on an interview once about, 
you know, this idea about, you know, salespeople have a hard time with some of these soft skills we talked about. And they want to know what I thought the cause of it was. And I said, bad parenting. <laughs> yeah, true. Totally true. Uh, reinforced by an educational system, I would add. But yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, some of these things go, go way back. Um, well, last last thing I want to get into is, and this is <laughs> something else again, is is this trust we talk about. I mean, there's different types of trust, right? And so I think that may part of the reason people have a hard time, rec- sellers have a hard time recognizing this and dealing with it is because they can only conceptualize this in the term of, I trust my parents, I trust my partner, I trust my whatever. Right. And in my mind, this is a substantially different form of trust mm-hmm. that we form We form with buyers, we form in a business. I mean, yep. um, you know, <laughs> I'd like to say is that, yeah, but my buyers, you know, they trust you enough to buy from you, but they're not going to invite you to come babysit their kids. Yeah. Well, here I think it's useful. Um, it's a good good point you raise. And I find it, I've always found it useful to make a certain distinction between what, what I call the private and what I call the personal. And the private has to do with, would you baby maybe has to do with, would you babysit their kids? It certainly has to do with, do you know your customers, kids, birthdays? Um, do you, you know, both, do you both go out to watch the Knicks together? So, well, not the Knicks, but, yeah. uh, you know, all, all the private life stuff. And I think business trust has got nothing to do with that. That's, you can do it. It's up to you. It's up to who you are and who the customer is. Right. But the important part of trust is what, um, uh, happens within business, but is personal. Because all the personal aspects of, uh, of a full human's life, you know, ups and downs and, and fears and sorrows and wins and losses and aggravation and resentment and politics, all that stuff, all that happens in the business environment. Sure. And if you don't address the human component of that happening in the business environment, you're missing out on the trust that I'm talking about. So you can, you can almost know absolutely nothing about a person privately in their private life. But if you forge a strong enough human connection with that person in the realm of business, that's all that's needed. That's, and, and often that's all that's appropriate. And that's not to say you can't have private relationships with, with many people. But again, that's up to you and them individually and doesn't have to do with business trust per se. Yeah, and it gets back to this nature of what is the relationship in business that you're forming with a buyer between a buyer and a seller is because is, there's – It's both. It's commercial and it's personal if you do it right. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was I think it was Aristotle talked about you know the relationship of utility, which is is fundamentally what you have, right? Or he called them friendships of utility, but but that's that's the type of, of relationship I believe you have with your your buyers. The connection you have with your buyers is is it's functional. It's it's here for this moment. The utility to get something done between us. It's personal, as you said. Yep. There's trust involved. It's not. Personal trust necessarily, though it as you said, it could extend to, but but no it's private trust. trust. Yeah, yeah well, no private I'd, trust. Excuse me. I, I might I'd I'd have to think more about the way you put it, but I think it's a little stronger than that. It's not like if I leave companies goodbye you, I'm gonna remember who I dealt with. And when I move to another company, I'm gonna want to bring you with me if I had that kind of personal trust relationship. Again, it has nothing to do with private lives, sure. it has a lot to do with the ability to forge a connection with that other person. Which uh, is what the world revolves around. Absolutely. I mean, as much as we try to script out 
<laughs> the human aspect of of sales out of it. Right. It's I I think that you've made the argument. I I've made the argument that it's actually become more and more essential as we get more automated, more mechanized. What stands so out too. about an individual is right. their ability to be human and to connect with another person. Right. Exactly. Now let me ask you a question, if I can. Sure. I, um, you and I, I think, have both commented on. Um, the ubiquity of, of of emails that come in and are offering, you know, we've got this special, you know, deal for you. And they may or may not have done a fabulous job of targeting me. They know exactly my little business. There's some rational reason why I was picked. But the pitch itself is utterly tone deaf, completely impersonal. Drives me nuts because, mm-hmm. um, well, anyway, what do you think of all that? Is that more <laughs> systemic? Is it just me? What's going on? And are they as clueless as I think they are? Well, hey, they're as clueless. They're lazy basically, is what it yep. comes down to, because the tools actually provide the ability to personalize exactly. at a scale you've never been able to do before, but most totally people true. are using the technology to automate bad behaviors. And and so, I, I get a lot of this because people, I get, depending on the day, I could get up to 10 pitches on a day to be on this program. Okay, so wow. it's a popular show, lots of people want to be on it. Yeah, and And I can tell in a heartbeat who's actually Listen. Exactly. (laughs) I'm sure you can. (laughs) And it doesn't matter if they say they've listened to it and they enjoy it. Uh, You you can just tell. And you really can. I get the same. People saying, "Oh, we'd love to guest post and link here." Nope. Yeah. And so for me, it's yeah, it's a quick turnoff because it's like, yeah, I have a limited resource here. Uh, You want people that have been sincere, but sincere in their interest that they want to be on it and that they have something they think is unique to share. Right. I mean, if it's just like, yeah, I just want to be on show to be on a show, it's like, yeah, yeah, we're not interested. We're not and it comes that. across it comes across in the pitch. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, okay. Well, good. Anything else I can do for you? <laughs> nope. We're good. <laughs> All right. Well, Charlie, we've sort of run out of time, but as always, it's been fantastic to talk as with always, you. As so, always. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Really appreciate so if, it. Always. People want to get in touch with you. What should they do? Uh, the easiest is the website, trustedadvisor.com. That's spelled with an O-R, T-R-U-S-T-E-D-A-D-V-I-S-O-R.com. And you'll find email, phone, and everything within there. And it's a great book to read if you haven't read it, read it The Trusted Advisor, but wait for the new version? Nope, don't wait. Well, <laughs> I am both. What can I say? It's okay. a while yet. Well, and you also have... Uh, the Trusted Advisor sales book, right? And we have the Trusted Advisor field book. And let's field not book. forget trust-based selling, my trust personal selling. favorite That's in many ways. Yeah. 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 Also, a good book. I've read two of those. So, all right. Recommend them. Charlie, great to see you as always. Stay safe. Thank you, Andy. Likewise. Take care. Okay, friends. That's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. I also want to thank my friend, Charlie Green, for sharing his wisdom with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, we'd really appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this show is over. So thanks for your help. And thank you for investing your time to join me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.
Hey, sales strategists! At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.